a powerful reminder that Memorial Day is more than a day off from work and you hope for good weather to have a picnic. Uh, but it's much more real when it becomes personal, right? Much more real when it's a family from the chapel whose son loses his life in fighting for freedom. Much more real to me when my cousin goes, or excuse me, my nephew is in Afghanistan and Iran, Iraq, excuse me, and ends up losing some of his best friends. Then it becomes real. And, and that's simply what we want to remember, that this is, our freedom is real at a real cost. And, and it's a strong parallel to our faith as we remember our freedom as a country at the cost of lives, we remember that ultimately we celebrate a freedom that we have in Christ because of the death of the Lord Jesus, that in his dying, we have been given freedom over sin and freedom from the penalty of sin. And so uh, we remember Christ and remember those who have fought for our freedom as a nation with, with great gratitude this morning. I want to invite you to Turn with me in a, your copy of the scriptures. If you have one, whether hard copy or digital, I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10. If you don't have anything like that with you, it will be on the screen here, but always better to be able to see it for yourself in front of you. Mark chapter 10, we have been looking at going through the gospel of Mark for more than a year now. Jesus encounter various people in various situations, and sometimes the encounters lead into other encounters, which is what will happen this morning. We're going to see this morning Jesus encounter kingdom confusion, and that might not mean anything to you, so let me set the stage for you. When I say kingdom confusion, here's what I mean. The Jewish followers of Jesus who believed that he was the Messiah, understood that the Messiah was going to establish a kingdom of Israel on the planet that would rule over every other nation on the planet. So they thought Jesus was establishing a literal earthly kingdom of Israel that would lead every other nation. But Jesus was continually trying to correct their thinking from a literal physical kingdom of Israel to a people of God, Jewish and Gentile, with whom Jesus would redeem and dwell within them and the kingdom of God would dwell in the hearts of people in a way that they would live out that kingdom on the planet so that a nation would not be lifted up, but that Jesus would be lifted up. But you know, when you believe something, it's hard to get rid of that previous belief and engage a new belief system. And that's what's happening for the disciples. They have grown up thinking about the Messiah one way, and Jesus is constantly correcting their thinking regarding the kingdom that he is establishing. And the encounter we looked at last week leads to an encounter with the disciples this week. Last week, our summary was simply this. A really good guy walked away from Jesus really sad because he was really rich. Now, don't misunderstand. 
If you're really rich, you don't have to walk away really sad. This man did because he owned many things, which ultimately we said really could be best expressed that he was owned by many things. He had much property that owned him. And so, if you'll remember, the scene was this. Jesus is walking with his disciples, and this man had run up, fallen down, and asked him, how do I get in? And Jesus told him, and the guy got up, and see the scene. He's walking away, his back now turned to Jesus. He's walking away from Jesus. Jesus turns his attention from that man and speaks to his disciples. So this encounter leads to this encounter that we're going to look at right now. So a really good guy walked away from Jesus really sad because he was really rich. So in that encounter, it leads to Jesus now this morning clarifying for his disciples three realities of the kingdom of God that he was established on earth that, that they did not yet get. So pick up the text. In Mark chapter 10, verse 23, if you want to follow along in your Bible. Verse 23. And Jesus looking around, so looking back from the guy walking away from him to his disciples, and he says to them, how hard it will be for those, now he's speaking generally, not just that man, for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Disciples were amazed at his words. It was like, Well, if the wealthy can't get in because wealth in their thinking was the blessing of God, if the people blessed by God can't get in, who can? (laughs) They're amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So the first reality as we work through this text. The first reality that he needed to set straight in their thinking was this, that wealth is a double-edged sword. It's not bad. (laughs) It's a double-edged sword. In other words, it can cut both ways. See, when you look at wealth in the scripture, The scripture gives a clear picture of wealth as a double-edged sword. It's a blessing. That's the one edge. Wealth is a blessing. But it's a blessing with a purpose. If you write in your Bible, I would encourage you right beside this to write 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 through 19. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Because here's what that says. 1 Timothy 6 says this, Instruct those who are rich in this world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, to be generous and ready to... Do you know the next word? If they knew it in first hour, they didn't say it. What's that? And ready to share. This is actually a text I would encourage you to put to memory. Because you know what wealth is? Wealth is simply having more than what you need. So everybody here is wealthy. It's just to varying degrees. So this is a text specifically for us. 
Instruct them to be generous, ready to share. In other words, the blessing of God of wealth is to be a blessing. But sometimes we take that blessing in order to be a blessing, and instead of it being a blessing, wealth becomes a blinder. That's the other side of the sword. It cuts both ways. We can take that which is a blessing and turn it into that which blinds. Under 1 Timothy 6, if you write in your Bibles, I'd encourage you to write Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9. Proverbs 38 and 9 simply says this. Lord, don't make me poor that I steal and profane your name. But don't make me rich that I may be full and say, who's the Lord? You see, the, the reality of wealth is that we can go, I don't need God. I'll just pay for what I need. I don't need help, I'll just buy help. So, the very thing that's intended to be a blessing can be a a blinder. Second, what I want us to understand in this kingdom reality is that we tend to think wealth primarily as it is thought of as materially. But actually, wealth comes in many forms. It's not just material wealth. So Thursday night, I'm teaching, and I say wealth comes in many forms. It's like a double-edged sword. And a guy comes to me afterward and says, I got a bunch of double-edged swords if you want them. So I was like, sweet. So... Uh, here's a double-edged sword. You know what this one is? What's that? Yeah, this is what most people think of when they think of William Wallace. This, this whopping, and that's a sharp one, so let me uh, put that sucker back in there. But here's a double-edged sword as well. This is, I'm told, a, a Chinese straight sword. Different than that sword. But this is a a double-edged sword as well, a a Roman-style double-edged sword. See, double-edged swords come in many forms, as does wealth. How else can you be wealthy other than material wealth? You can be materially wealthy. You can be intellectually wealthy. What do we normally call that? Smart. (laughs) We all know intellectually wealthy people and we all know intellectually poor people. (laughs) The question is, has God made you smart? And if he has, how is it cutting in your life? In other words, are your smarts becoming a blessing to help other people? Or are your smarts causing you to turn your back and walk away from Jesus? Because if a materially wealthy person can be too wealthy for Jesus, an intellectually wealthy person can be too smart for Jesus. 
or think they're too smart. I bet you lots of you can go, oh yeah, I've seen, I've seen that sword cut both ways. So don't think other people though. Has God made you, nothing to brag about, if God's made you smart, are you using it to bless people? Or are you using your smarts to build your kingdom instead of his kingdom? See, there's more than one way to be wealthy. There's more than one double-edged sword. You can be intellectually wealthy. You can be relationally wealthy. You, you, You know, that person who just, they can connect to anybody. Or they can just take a person who normally doesn't open up and they open up. Hey, is material wealth a gift from the Lord? Absolutely. Intellectual wealth a gift from the Lord? Relational wealth a gift from the Lord? Yeah, you and I can sharpen the swords that Jesus blesses us with, that God blesses us with, but we don't just naturally get them. They are gifts from the Lord. And sometimes people take their relational wealth and they use it just for their own sake, just for their own name, just for their own pleasure, as opposed to saying, God has given me influence with people. I'm going to use it for the sake of building the kingdom of God. Has God made you relationally wealthy? What are you using it for? Are you using it to bless or is it blinding you to your need for God so there's material wealth intellectual wealth relational wealth physical wealth in other words you're getting up in years and God has blessed you with good genes it's just Ultimately, you can tell me you eat right and do all that stuff. That's junk. It's not completely junk. But there's a lot of people who eat right and die young. And then there's a lot of people who eat fat back and die old. And go figure that one. Not fair. The question is, if God is giving you good genes, are you using it for just more years for more pleasure for you and your kingdom, or are you using it to say, Lord, you've given me strength and vitality, and I'm going to use it for the kingdom of God. Physical wealth, good health, for lots of years. I often pick on Frostweaver, who sits up here and I just want to honor Frost. Frost, how old are you? Like, how, 74? Yeah, 74 years old, and God has just given him. He's going through, through some testing right now, but thus far, God has given Frost incredible physical wealth, and he continues to use it for the kingdom of God. He's not blinded him to build his own kingdom. I just, way to go, Frost. May the Lord give him many, many more years. Because I believe, again, God gives seed to sowers. Have you been blessed with family wealth? And again, I'm not talking dollars here. I'm talking about the heritage 
of a mom and dad who have walked with Jesus and raised you to walk with Jesus and grandparents who have raised you to walk. You have been blessed with family that have lived it out. How's that cutting in your life? Are you blessing others with that? Are you blessing your children with what you've blessed with? Or has it blinded you? And you're taking for granted what God has blessed you with. All of us are wealthy in at least one way. Lots of us in here are wealthy in multiple ways. They are gifts from God. Intended, intended that we would say, oh no, they don't own me. They are gifts from God in order to bless others. So as you see yourself as wealthy, just ask yourself, has God's blessing in your life blessed others or blinded you to your need for him and quenched your desire for him? They couldn't, the disciples couldn't fathom that a wealthy guy would walk away, with, walk away from Jesus. But it's because wealth had blinded him. It had owned him instead of him seizing the opportunity to go, thank you, I'll bless others with it. It's a double-edged sword. And I think it's important for us to ask how it's cutting in our lives. So the disciples are confused about wealth. They they had never seen it as a double-edged sword. So they reply, then who can be saved? If the wealthy can't be saved, if a guy like that can't get in, who's really wealthy and really good, who can be saved? To which Jesus says, with people it is, say it, it's what? Impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So reality too. Entrance into the kingdom of God is humanly impossible. No matter how good we are, no matter how wealthy we are, no matter how God has blessed us, we cannot gain interest, entrance excuse me, into heaven by our own merit, by our own works. It's humanly impossible. This is the repeated teaching of Scripture. And you may go, Doug, you talk about this every single week. And I do for this reason. Because the greatest lie perpetrated upon the planet is that there are, in some sense, divine scales in heaven that's going to weigh what you do when you get to heaven, get, when you stand before God, and it's going to weigh what you did good, what you did bad, and hopefully... If you don't do too much bad and you do enough good, if you go to church enough, if you say your prayers enough, if you do enough nice things for other people, if you give enough money and you don't kill anybody, they're going to tip in your favor. But the scripture says, knowing that a man is not justified, made right with God by the works of the law, but... Here's the only way you get right with God, through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus. Now, let me make sure you understand. When he says, even we, that's the writer of the letter to the Galatians. The apostle Paul is saying, even we have believed, meaning 
If there is anyone who has ever given the best shot at being justified by keeping the law, it's me. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I knew the law, and with as much zeal as anybody has ever given to keeping the law, I have tried it. And I believe in Jesus. Why? Why have I trusted and believed in Christ Jesus? Because I know that a man is not justified by the works of the law. He says, we believe so that we may be justified by faith in Christ Jesus and not by works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. See, the the whole problem with saying, I'm going to get in, I'm going to work my way back to God, I'm going to stop cussing, I'm going to start attending church, is even if you could, just, just imagine with me, even if you could from this day forward say, I'm going to be the best person, I'm going to be perfect in thought, action, reaction, I'm going to be perfect. You're, we're only imagining because you can't, <laughs> but imagine from this day forward, you're going to be perfect. Will that get you into heaven? Why not? You're perfect from this day forward. Why won't you get in? Because of yesterday. And all the days before that. See, even if you could be perfect going forward, what about your failures in the past? You may go, well, what, do you, what do you know about my yesterday? I know about my yesterday. And folks... We are guilty before a holy God. Here's the good news. With people, it's impossible. No man will be justified by keeping the law. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. Critical question. Why is it possible with God but impossible with us? And don't say, well, because he's God. No, it's something specific about him. Why is it possible with God, but impossible with us? Yeah, because he is perfect. He, Christ, died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. Do you understand that what you and I could not do from this day forward, Jesus did from the day he was born to the day he died. He never, ever sinned. In thought, in action, in reaction, in motive against his brothers, his sisters, his mom, or his dad, or his neighbors, or the people who lied about him, or the people who beat him, or the people who killed him. He never sinned against anybody, ever in any way, but took the punishment as if he did for you and me. He took our punishment. You see, my point is, when it says, 
the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God. Understand it before you write it down. Only God could do what God required. You see, what, the reason it's possible with God is because only he is perfect and therefore could become the sacrifice to pay for our failure, our sin. He's the only one who could. So what is impossible for you and I is possible and only possible. It's the reason Jesus could say, no one comes to the Father but through me because I'm the only one able to do what's required, to pay the penalty for someone else's sin because I don't have any penalty to pay for myself. That's, folks, that's the good news of the gospel. That he has paid your way. And so I want to invite you again this morning to change your thinking from it's how I live that determines my standing before God to instead it's who I trust determines my standing before God. If I trust in me, I'm condemned. If I trust in Jesus, I'm justified. I'm reconciled to God. I'm made right with him. Who are you trusting in? You trusting in Jesus? If you declared, I deserve wrath, but I believe in Jesus, thank you. It's all you can say. You can't earn it. You can't pay it back. You can only say, thank you. That's why we gather before we look at the scriptures. We gather and sing together because we are declaring praise to a God who did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, who did and could only do what God required. That's why, that's why I sing with all my heart on Sunday morning. My kids laugh at me because I sing so loud and so bad. That's a bad combination. If you've ever wondered why Matt Collins wears those things in his ears, because I sing so badly in the front rows and so loudly. Not really, but I hope not. Do you sing with all your heart? Because, because Christ has paid your penalty. See, up to this point, their kingdom was, oh no, Jesus is going to set up a kingdom and we're in because we are Jewish. And Jesus said, no. You're only in if you trust in me because only I can do what you can't do. I can, only I can do the impossible. So, now, watch what happens. Peter's taking this all in. And what's happening? There's a guy who is still probably visible walking away. But he and the 12, they're still standing there. Jesus' back is to that guy and Jesus is talking to them about God can do the impossible. To which Peter replies to this scene. He says, behold, we have left everything and followed you. We've done what that dude didn't do. And I love what Jesus says. And I hope you'll go out with your heart soaring from what Jesus says to this guy. To Peter here. I'm going to tell you in principle and then we'll read in specific. In principle... To, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus says, 
Hey, following me has perks. Actually, as we're going to see, perks like that dude walking away is completely the loser on. And you who have lost the winner. Here's the perks. Verses 28, read them with me. Follow along, verse 29 through 31. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one, not just you, Peter, not just you, 12, there's no one who has left, here's the list, left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive, say, a hundred times as much in heaven. No, that's not what he says. But that he will receive a hundred times as much now. And in case you don't understand the word now, he says, in the present age, (laughs) houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms. And you go, what happened to fathers? Did you notice fathers missed the second list? They left but didn't get more. They didn't get 100 dads. They got 100 mothers, 100 sisters, 100 brothers, 100 houses, 100 farms, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. Many who are first will be last and last first. So, he goes, there's perks that that guy is missing out on. There's perks to... When and where? Well, there's perks on earth that happen now. And there are perks in heaven that those who follow me get later. And most of us are well familiar with the perks we get in heaven later, but are either unaware or unconvinced that there are perks now. But he says there are perks on earth now. You will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms. Frost. Since you have followed Jesus, have you gotten a hundred houses? You didn't hear Frost. He said no. So Jesus is lying? (laughs) Okay, that's awkward. (laughs) You can't be an elder and say, Jesus is lying. I would venture to say, Frost, you've got more than 100 houses. And 100 brothers. And 100 sisters. And 100 moms. I don't know who wants 100 moms, but you've got 100 moms. <laughs> not, why not 100 fathers? One heavenly father. See, and I'm not, I'm not being cute here. I believe this with all my heart. That when I place faith in Christ, I become part of a spiritual family of which there is one father. And you got two other brothers and a sister sitting with you here on the front row. And, and your house 
is what? My house. And my house is, how do the the Spanish say it? See, you know that. That's actually, at core, a biblical concept. My house is your house. You believe that? Oh, I think we have totally missed, not totally, often significantly missed the reality of the blessing of a spiritual family. To go, hey, I left those who wouldn't follow, but I was connected to a whole new family. And in that new family, I want to live like what's mine is yours. So I've said this privately. I'm going to say it publicly right now. I've said to lots of people privately, I have a truck. If you need a truck, just tell me. You can come use it. I have a truck. You can use, your, you can use my truck. Now, if you use my truck, put gas in it because my gas is not your gas. <laughs> just teasing. Seriously. I have a truck, you can use my truck. I've said to lots of folks, I have a dock, you wanna go fishing? You can use my dock. And only on a few times, interestingly, last night one of them, I had a guy who was told that lots of times and he's come over sometimes, last night he said, hey, can me and two other guys come fish off your dock? And I was like, ah, it's my daughter's birthday, she has friends from out of town, they're actually using it now for her birthday. So, no fishing for you tonight. I'm serious. I'm genuinely serious. Don't knock on my door. Just go out there. The the guy who took the wakeboard without my permission, that wasn't the biblical principle. That was stealing my wakeboard. But I genuinely believe that what Jesus is saying here is, Peter... The guy who walks away so he can keep his stuff is a fool. Because the person who leaves everything and follows me gets far more than he could have ever kept for himself. Oh, it's mine. Okay, you keep yours and I'll take the family. But we tend to live isolated, solitary. No, this is my world, my kingdom, my blessing. Instead of simply going, hey, the truck was a gift from the Lord. And how could I take a gift from the Lord and say, no, 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 it's mine, not yours. Property, it's a gift from the Lord. It's a material blessing to bless. Not to blind me, not to capture my heart, but to engage my heart to a people. See, what if, what if we genuinely began to, to, th- to think and to operate? It's mine, is yours, and if you need it, I'm glad to share. One of the best things that happened to me the day I turned 16, I bought a 
old car that everything that, it took every penny I had as a 16-year-old. But I bought a car, brought it home. My brother-in-law was at the house, and he said, Doug, I just want to encourage you. Let's stand out here by the car and simply say, God, this is your car, not mine, and therefore you can use it, and anybody can use it for whatever purposes they need. And, and he had me take my first biggest possession and settle in my heart that it wasn't mine, that it was his for his purposes. That was a, that was a great moment for the setting of my heart as it relates to stuff. That's the way I want us to live. Strike that. It's the way Jesus wants us to live. Open-handed. Because, you know, it's possible to leave something and still have it. I leave it owning me. And I leave it to be used however is needed for the sake of the kingdom of God. It's a heart issue. And one of the greatest perks that that maybe we haven't engaged in is the blessing of a spiritual family. It's one of the challenges. One of the challenges is the fact that in this local body, and the, the family of God's a lot bigger, obviously, than Christian Family Chapel, but in this local body, Frost has like 700 brothers and 700 sisters. But you're not going to know all your brothers and sisters. And even your own earthly brothers and sisters, this may be a little awkward, but don't you like some of them more than others? Yes, that's, that's, that's honest. And so you're not going to know all of them. But I am, I am encouraging you with as much as I can in me to say, don't just attend a service with hundreds of people at Christian Family Chapel. Take a step and find family with 10, 12, 14, 16 other people who you would go, I know them. They know me. I pray for them. They pray for me. I share stuff with them. They share stuff with me. I welcome them. They welcome me. Family. You got a lot to choose from. You know, when, when Jackie and I first came to Jacksonville, we were newly married, and we didn't, in the little church we were going to, no other newly married couples. And it was like, you know, it's hard to be newly married, and it's really hard to be newly married and on your own. And so we said, we want to start a family group just for newly marrieds at the chapel. We started with about 14, and it grew to 36, and so we multiplied to two groups of 18. We didn't assign, just people went, and we had two groups of 18, and now they continue to multiply, to, to grow. And it's simply this. We don't talk as a group. Can we vote anybody else on the island? Anybody else allowed to join us? That's not the way our family group functions. If you're newly married and you want to come, come. I'll give you my cell phone number, and if you're interested, you text me, and I'll tell you where we're meeting. And then you can come. And you can come once, and if you don't like it, you don't have to ever come again. It's no problem. You won't be the first. We've had lots of people come and and then never show up again. Because not everybody loves their every brother and sister. 
Some come, some stay. Do you have a family? Can I be honest? I told him last Sunday night. We meet Sunday nights at 6.30. Almost every Sunday night at 5 o'clock, I don't want to do it. You know that feeling? Ah, long day. People been at the house. Finally, my feet up. When, oh, we got to go another hour? Ah. That's honestly the way I feel. Ah. But I never feel that once I'm there. And I absolutely never feel that driving home. We'll say stuff like, we'll just go and we won't stay very long. Four hours later. (laughs) Glad we went. You have been blessed with a spiritual family. And some of you are missing out. You're like totally missing the now perk of being a part of the family of God. All I'm acknowledging is it's hard at times. You won't always feel like it. Tremendous blessing. If you'll push past how you feel and engage, it'll cost you minutes, it'll cost you doing something hard, and it'll be well worth it. So, perfectly clear, if you're not part of a family group or discipleship group or some context where there is life together, brother, sister, then would you take a step? Just say, hey, where's a group I can try? And I want to encourage you groups who already exist. Don't make it so people have to be voted on your island. Seriously. Just welcome them. And if you get to multiply, it's sweet. It's awesome. It's good. It's part of the privilege of a spiritual family. The the perk that we're not as excited about, but that is just as powerful, is the blessing of perfecting persecution. It's not the, you know, he's going, mothers and brothers and sisters and farms and houses and persecution. It's like he throws it in there. Like, whoa, where'd that come from? It's equally a blessing because pain is what nobody wants. But if we didn't have it, it would ruin our lives. You realize how bad your life would be if you didn't have the pain that says, whoa, don't do that. Oh, don't touch that. Oh, don't go there. Pain has a perfecting reality in us. And he says, if you follow me, there will be a pain called persecution. But it's a blessing. Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There are so many of us in this room who would say, here was some of the most painful times in my life that I knew came to know Jesus most personally, most intimately. You didn't ask for the pain, 
but you treasure what it did in your heart and how you've experienced Jesus in the midst. It would actually be unloving of Jesus to say, hey, follow me and I'll take all the pain out of your life. This pain's a gift from the Lord that we experience in this life that not only highlights our need for him, but, watch, ripens us and our appetite for heaven. Which is the next perk. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many are first who will be last and the last first. And we'll talk about this more specifically next week in the next encounter that we see Jesus. But there is the perk not only on earth now, but in heaven later. And that is the blessing of eternal life and the blessing of eternal reward. Before you go, three questions. Are you trusting in Jesus? Not yourself. If you have questions about really what that would mean for you, please don't hesitate. It's raining. What else could you do? Just hang and go, I have some questions about, I'm not sure about my own relationship with God. I've always thought works. We would be delighted to help you understand trusting in Jesus. Second, he has blessed you. What are the blessings of God doing in your life? He's blessed you. Are they turning into blessings to others? Or have they dulled your senses and blinded you to your need for and your appetite for God? If that's true, repent of that and invite the Lord. Lord, change my mind, change my heart so I'd be blessed others with your blessings. And then, do you have a family? You do. Do you know a portion of your family which you can share life with? That's what I long for you for. It's what Jesus longs for you. It's what he has brought you in to be part of a family. Don't miss that blessing now as you anticipate eternal life in heaven. Father, I pray that these simple transformational realities about your kingdom, your rule in our hearts would really change our thinking. We wouldn't be confused about our wealth, our entrance, or even our family and what we've left. We'd have your biblical clarity and we'd act on it to the praise of your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. If you're going to be out of town next week, see you Thursday night at what time? No, 7.30. We go to 7 on June 7th. 7.30 this Thursday. Have a great week.